Well, everybody, hello. <laughs> that's not that's not where you want to go with an opening of a show. But this is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick, my co-host, Jennifer Kalari, coming up in just a minute. We're the show that talks about mental health, but not only talks about it, we practice skills, we practice mental fitness, we have tools that you can use to fix your inner motor, to fix your car, to fix your emotional automobile, to fix whatever's going on in your transmission. You may need an oil change. We don't do that but we give you an emotional oil change. How's that? It's going to be exciting. Jennifer is a professional. She has a great organization called ConnectedParenting.com. So much available there. And thank God she's here because otherwise you're really just listening to a guy who's on the way down. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm not really on the way down. Spiraling up. Is that possible? On today's show, we have a great guest. This guy is really a terrific speaker, a youth motivational expert, a coach, a teacher. At 22 years old, this guy is an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker. His goal is to provide students with tools and strategies they need to become servant leaders in their schools, businesses, communities, and help other people around them. And it all started with garbage. So we're going to talk to him all about that. Sam Demma is here. 200 presentations, big TED talker, really an inspirational guy. Today's show is brought to you by Openhead, the growth mindset roll-on for your head. It's like a deodorant for your head. You roll it on right to your brain, right to the front of your head, and immediately the neurons start to fire. You're on fire. With Openhead, it helps you develop a growth mindset where you start thinking that everything is possible. Whatever you're dealing with, maybe you don't have the answer yet, but you will. Roll on that puts you on a roll. Say goodbye to dread with open head. I usually have emotional shoutouts. Didn't have time for that this week, but whatever state you're in, welcome. If you're on an emotional roller coaster and you're on the way down, put your hands in the air like you just don't care and welcome We're going to explore motivation. We're going to explore what happens, what gets in the way. When something gets in my way, I go around it. Don't let life get me down. I got the music in me. I'm going to do song lyrics. I'd like to present now, it's time, for the funk mistress of the frontal lobe, the ninja of neurons, the Cleopatra of the cerebellum, a woman who has done it all and seen it all, and has accepted a lot of rage in her life and dealt with it and help people get beyond it. Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, how are you doing? What is happening? What kind of a summer is it going to be for you? Well, hopefully I'm going to take some time this summer and just regroup, spend time with the family and just kind of keep that balance. When you, when you work with with families and parents and people that have mental health issues, it's important to take care of your own mental health. So that's my plan. We don't really teach that to people who are in the helping profession. We don't, we don't teach that you can actually take care of yourself and take care of other people. Kindness towards oneself. And I, I thought today we have Sam Demma coming on shortly, but, you know, motivation and a growth mindset. So how do you change your mindset if you're experiencing such distress and such overwhelm in the world, 
how do you jump into something that can take you to a di- in a different path? And how do you teach that to kids? Well, it's a good question. A lot of people are very overwhelmed right now. They really are. And sometimes you can get so deep in that overwhelm and so fully in your own head that you don't even know there's another way to be. Part of what I love to do when I work with parents and I lo- and I work with kids, and honestly, the younger, the better, is they learn how to rewire their brain. They learn that they can change their thinking. They learn they can talk back to their anxiety or their fear and that they're in charge of their emotions instead of the other way around. And those are incredible life skills that I wish every kid could learn everywhere. But it, you know what? Sometimes it's it's really hard when you're kind of deep in that. Your brain doesn't even tell you there's another way. It just tells you this is it. Like you're in trouble. I became aware of this later in life, like like everything that I've become aware of in the last few years, that you can change things even with a word, the, the, the power of yet. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not there yet, Yeah, but I will be. I don't understand how to do this yet. I'm not good at it yet. Yeah, that's really important. And what I, what I teach people, I teach kids to do this too, but I mean, this is for adults also, is if, if you think to yourself, because there's a lot of guilt sometimes that goes along with struggling. Because a lot of people think, oh, there's p- people way worse off. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not strong enough or there's something wrong with me or that I have so much. Why am I so upset? Um, and trying to just talk yourself into feeling better. There's no way your brain's going to let you do that. That's way too much of a distance to go from feeling really terrible to thinking, well, I should feel better. And, and the brain's not going to let you do that. So actually learning to think in these little kind of ladder steps where you can think, well, I'm not very happy right now and I'm struggling right now and it feels hard, but I'm, I, I'm open to the possibility that one day I might feel a little bit better. And that sentence has a lot less resistance than I can do this and I'm going to feel better because there's a part of your brain that goes, no, you won't. You won't. Don't even try. Right. So, so just kind of learning to use the word yet to imagine possibilities and get inch closer and closer and closer to what you want instead of trying to do it in one giant leap, if that makes sense. Yes. And uh, that can be helpful for, for almost anything, almost anything that you're facing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do less little, little tiny steps. And I love that your brain talks like that. I think that everybody, we should have a, you know, like a talent show where people talk to their brain. It's a brain talk and you talk back to your brain. And, and what, what does your brain say to you and how does it sound? Mine sounds like this. <laughs> Hello. What do you want? It's true. Get out. No, it doesn't really sound like that. <laughs> Sometimes it does for people, Ed. Yeah. Honestly, that, that dark part of the brain that is just pulling you down into the depths of just feeling awful is pretty scary. It really is. And it could sound exactly like that. What are you doing here? You have no purpose. Why even That's try? Right. Where is your passport? Where are your papers? <laughs> Give me your papers. That's a pretty good voice, said. That's not bad. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, whatever, whatever the voice sounds like, that's... It, it usually has that kind of a, an aspect to it. And you, you think it's global, too. It's always black or white. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, everything's, you're, you're hopeless. Or, you know, something, something else. But it's, it's extreme. And then yeah. you want to check your thoughts. Just be aware of them. Oh, look at, just write it down, even. Look at what my brain, look at what I just told myself. Yeah. I just told myself that it's permanent and that there's no hope. I just told myself that. Oh, that's interesting. Where is that not, Where is that hopelessness coming from? From myself. Exactly. Be aware that you're the thinker of your thoughts. And you can you can pause and you can 
you know, sort of examine them. You can talk back to them and you can find ways to slowly, very slowly train your brain to think different thoughts or to at least recognize when they're, they're those really heavy kind of fake thoughts because life is very nuanced. It just depends how you look at it. So I've looked at life from no sides now. <laughs> um, that's my song. I'm going to sing it. Coming up in just a minute here, we're going to meet somebody who is a, a tremendous keynote speaker and has really motivated a lot of people. He's done over 200 presentations. Uh, he could be my grandson. He's a young man, and he's a, a very powerful force for good, I will say. Uh, I can't imagine this, that by the age of 22, being a TED Talker and also presenting to over 200, over 200 events, I think that I avoided my feelings 250,000 times, but I didn't make any presentations. I don't know that I helped a lot of people, maybe a few, but not nearly as much as, as Sam, and he's here with us today. Sam Demma, Sam, welcome, and it's so great. You came on with the song Happy, with the Pharrell Williams song Happy, and I, I feel like you have a band that follows you wherever you go. <laughs> That's how it sounds in your head some of the time. And probably since you've been doing this kind of work, it's completely transformed your uh, your life. I appreciate the kind words. It was something I stumbled into, not actually realizing I was going to be doing this work a few years ago, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity every day to serve and strive to use my gifts and talents to make a difference. I was just talking to Jennifer about uh, what happens when things fall apart and how do you go from things falling apart to like things might be possible. What happened and how did you make that transition? If you asked me as a young kid, Sam, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was one of the students that would have told you, I want to be a professional soccer player. At the age of five, my parents introduced me to the sport of soccer. Every Saturday, as if it was a ritual, me and my dad would sit on the couch side by side watching professional games on TV. It became this routine and my cousins would come over we would jam together shoulder to shoulder on the couch screaming with passion and kindergarten sam demo at five years old held on to that dream for eight years by the age of 13 earned himself the opportunity of a lifetime moved to italy for six months was living with over 20 international athletes the goal of the trip was to be exposed to professional culture and hopefully sign a you know professional contract I sacrificed everything from that point forward about the normal high school experience, no large groups of friends, uh, no partying on very rare occasion. And, you know, I never actually had one serious intimate relationship. That part was not actually in my, uh, in my control or something that I'm proud of. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'm totally joking. Yeah. But um, yeah. by the age of 17, you know, the sacrifices started paying off. I earned myself the opportunity to travel to a school in the States, Memphis University, on a potential full-ride scholarship. I was taking my official visit, which meant they would fly you down, tour you around in the hope that they could wine you, dine you, show you a great experience, so you would come back the next year on a scholarship. I ended up having three major knee injuries and two surgeries in my senior year and fifth year of high school that tore the dream apart. I think some people may have continued pursuing it. And after having two surgeries, what I had the third and then the fourth operation on the right hip as I have a torn labrum as well. Uh, but for me, the two surgeries and the three major injuries and 
the spending of two years trying to get back on my feet was enough for me to hit the pause button, reevaluate what I was doing with my life and start charting a new path. So that was some of the challenges I faced as a student growing up and kindergarten Sam Demma had to change his dream at about 17, 18 years old. Wow. So when you're in that space and you're thinking, I'm not going to be able to do this or I'm not going to do this, what inspired you to do something different? What inspired you to look for something else? It was my grade 12 world issues teacher. I would go to school every day on crutches, ice packs strapped to my knees, uh, limping in class. And he was the one individual who would really listen to every student in the classroom to the point where he got to know us all on a very personal basis, knew the passions each and every one of us had. He would teach a lesson and then knowing I love sports, look at me and say, for Sam, this lesson for you means X. And Kavan, because you love fashion, this lesson for you means X. And Ed, because you love comedy and mental health, this lesson for you means X. And he uh, would take the lesson he was teaching and connect it to our personal passions in a way that would make me interested. It would make me want to hear more and learn more and participate in his class. And there was this one occasion, April of uh, 2017, when Mike Loudfoot, that was his name, was speaking about figures in history who have massively changed the world. And he was trying to prove to us that if you took these remarkable individuals that we all put on these pedestals and you broke down their lives into tiny little pieces, what you would find is that they all had a common through line. Their massive impacts were the result of thousands of small, consistent actions. And if you wanted to make a similar impact or a difference, the only thing you had to do was commit to taking a small, consistent action. He believed that making a change wasn't only reserved for the big life moments, like graduating high school, buying a house, buying a car, choosing who you're going to marry. But if you wanted to make a difference, it actually happened in the thousands of small decisions you already make every single day. Hmm. And so I left class not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, unclear about my future, feeling like I had no purpose, but with a question in my mind. What small action can you take to start making some progress, to start rebuilding, but at the most basic level to see if my teacher was correct and a small action would make a big change? I kind of took it as a personal challenge. Walking home from school, two weeks after that lecture, I stumbled over a coffee cup. (laughs) And I won't tell you the brand because I don't want to be disrespectful. But after I picked it up, I rolled up the rim to win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know that coffee cup. (laughs) Perfect. Oh, my God. There's a whole group there. There are sound effects. This man is so powerful that that there's sound effects that just appear. (laughs) I didn't tell you I was a magician. (laughs) Yeah, you are. I started picking up garbage. You know, a coffee cup blew across the sidewalk and I felt the urge to bend down and pick it up. That became my little action. And for the next four months of my senior year, before graduation, I packed a garbage bag with me in my backpack and filled it with trash on my walk home. There was no grand plan or big vision to start an initiative. I just, at the most simple level, wanted to test my teacher's idea. And five days before the summer break, a good friend drove by, pulled, pulled over, rolled down his window. Sam, what the heck are you doing? Why are you picking up garbage? And I explained to him, Dylan, what my teacher taught me, that a small action can make a big difference. And together we decided, why don't we do something with this? 
the summer of 2017, we launched a group called Pick Waste because we live in the city of Pickering and plan to pick up garbage. <laughs> we Sorry. went outside for one hour once a week, picked up trash, posted a picture on social media, and invited other students to join us. The premise was so simple. The small action only had to re- happen every seven days for an hour out of the 168 hours we all have. And students could also earn their volunteer hours. And what started as this small little idea grew and gained momentum in those first two months. So we made the decision to never stop. Pick Waste has run in the city of Pickering for the past five years. Uh, We completed over 350 cleanups and picked up over 3,000 bags of garbage. And when I say we, I mean the selfless hundreds of volunteers who come out and join us. Uh, We've given out 6,000 volunteer hours to high school students towards their graduation requirements. And this helped me rebuild my identity not because I wanted to be a future environmentalist or a garbage picker, <laughs> but it gave me the opportunity to rebuild a community around myself. I think it's so important that when going through challenging times, we find a new community or build a community off a pre-existing one where we feel like we're being valuable and providing service to others in the world. I think I rebuilt myself through community and, and service through the Pick Waste Project. Well, that's amazing. And for anybody, you know, I know that there are a lot of people listening right now that are probably thinking, this guy is amazing. I will, I could never be like that. Mm. I don't have that motivation. I don't have that energy. Uh, I'm just trying to survive right now. What do you say to them? Focus on the next small step. I'm sharing with you the result of five years of work, but it started with picking up one coffee cup. I think when we focus on the next small step, things feel a little more tangible. And I think what we focus on grows, right? That's exactly right. Jennifer says that all the time. And that you need to make it really simple and really break it down. And what do you do with those? Because this is not a a linear path. It's a meandering road. It's a journey, right? So you're going to have a lot of thoughts. You're going to have a lot of feelings that say, don't do this. Or what are you doing? Or what, where is this going to lead to? How did you train yourself to answer those things? Because obviously you had to. Absolutely. The first thing I reminded myself throughout this entire journey was there are going to be ups and downs. And when I'm in a valley, a moment of despair, feeling down, beat up, I would remind myself that this too shall pass and not too far in the future, I'll find myself on a mountaintop. And when I was on a mountaintop feeling amazing, like things were just always going my way, I would take a moment to pause, be grateful, and also remind myself, this too shall pass, and soon hereafter, I'm going to find myself in a valley again. Mm -hmm. Understand that it's this constant journey that looks like a waving line of peaks and valleys. Uh, That kept me very peaceful when I was going through a challenging experience. Didn't really change the fact that I was having difficult experiences. For example, after starting Pick Waste, I still wasn't able to answer the question of, okay, Sam, this is great, but what do you want to study in school? I ended up making the decision to go to university after my fifth year and gap year after graduating high school because I felt like it was the right thing to do based off what all of my friends were doing and what my, what my parents you know, wished for me and what my examples around me showed and taught. Uh, but I went just because I thought I had to, not because I was passionate about a particular subject. 
to be precise, only lasted in school a month and 14 days. Because after starting the pick waste project about a year and a half into it, I started speaking in schools. I thought to myself, how can I get more students involved? And I thought one of the easiest ways would be to speak in front of them. So I went to my principal of my former high school, asked him for five minutes at the end of a, an assembly, did a five minute presentation, which was, by the way, absolutely terrible. <laughs> and I was extremely nervous. But although it was bad from other people's standards and my own, I really enjoyed doing it and ended up doing about 30 more of these five minute promotional presentations at different high schools within my school board and community before having a principal hand me on a hundred dollar bill, a hundred dollar honorarium. And he said, you did a really good job. And we usually pay people a lot more money than this to come in and do programs. And that's when I started getting really curious because I really enjoyed speaking and storytelling knowing that it would have a positive influence and impact on the lives of the people in the audience. And if there was a way to actually make that my career and calling, I wanted to know more about it. So the, the moment I started formalizing this idea as a pathway I could take was after that engagement where I had the $100 honorarium, I, I went home, went on Google, searched the words youth speaker, and I called everyone on the first five pages. I asked them questions about the resources they, de they devoured to get to where they are today, the people they met, the books they read, the courses they bought, the conferences they went to. And after a month and 14 days of university, uh, while I was going through this transition, meeting these new individuals, I made the decision to drop out of school and drop into my dreams and pursue all the resources all these people told me about. And that's when I put the stake in the ground and decided like Sam Demma is going to build a speaking business and share stories with thousands of students that hopefully leave a positive impact on them uh, and where they go in the future. That's amazing. You express yourself so beautifully. See, the thing is, anyone can do these things, but really what you're saying is it starts with the focus of something very small and usually something that's right in front of you. For me, it was also about finding the people who are already doing the thing that I wanted to do. Once I made the decision, I want to speak, I want to build a speaking business and positively impact youth. I went and seeked out people who had been doing that for 20 years and made them my personal mentors, hired some of them as my coaches, bought their programs, flew to their events and conferences. Learning from others through mentorship is one of the most underrated forms of education. Let me make it very clear. I'm not against university. And sometimes when people hear that I dropped out, that's what they think. I'm actually just pro choosing a pathway that aligns with your heart and your intuition. And if your path is going to take you through university, I think that's a beautiful path that you should absolutely pursue. But it's not okay that sometimes as students, we think it's the only option or as people in general. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from mentorship and, you know, so did the karate kid. And so did <laughs> Jedi's in Star Wars. It's funny because mentorship is so beautifully portrayed in movies, but not so much in career manuals. <laughs> the, 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 but there are mentors out there that you can find if you follow your heart. There are mentors that you'll find if you go towards, the, towards what you love. You go towards what you love and things start to happen. Uh, Jennifer, you do this kind of work um, yeah. yourself. and. What are you thinking, you know, sitting listening to Sam, who is, how old are you, Sam? 22? Uh, yeah, 22. He's 22. 
It's amazing. I, I absolutely love the idea of just doing something small. Something was right in front of you and doing a small act like that, which it doesn't have to be these grand sweeping things. It can just be this lovely little moment where you do something nice for the planet <laughs> that nobody sees, which I love that it just started there. And I think what really strikes me as I hear your story is there are a lot of people who would have got that knee injury and been bitter and angry and angry at the world and this happened to me and this sucks. And they would have kind of turned inward and gotten their own way. And I think what you showed was such grit and such resilience. And sometimes things aren't being torn down, they're being rebuilt, Mm. right? And I don't think you'd be here without it and helping as many people as you help. Although soccer is a phenomenal career too, makes lots of people happy. But thank you for sharing that. It's really beautiful. I was very moved. You're welcome. You know, I don't think the athlete is gone. I think you are an athlete, but yeah. you, and you approach things like an athlete. I think you've approached your speaking career like an athlete. It's funny because one of the things I enjoyed the most about being an athlete was having a positive influence on my teammates. I was one of this, the athletes on the team who during fitness practice would yell at my teammates who were cutting the corners to say, you know, if you cut the corners here, it's going to show up on game day on the field when someone beats you to the ball. You know, we're in this together as a team. You know, we win together. We, we suffer together. You know, don't skip the reps. Don't skip the steps. I, I enjoyed being a positive influence, knowing that my actions and choices were inspiring those around me, which is a little ironic when you think about the work that I'm doing now and the way it's all turned out, because I still look at myself as someone who is using those similar skill sets of inspiring and impacting and influencing those around me just in a different context. It was my teacher, Mike Loudfoot, who taught me about small, consistent actions, who also helped me realize that life is filled with an abundance of games, thousands of games. And soccer was just one game I chose to play. But at any point in time, there's no rule book. We, We as human beings can always start a brand new game by clicking a new start button as long as you build up the courage to pursue it, use these skills and personality traits and characteristics you developed in one game to help you exceed and pursue another one. And I think you're absolutely right. The time management skills that I took away from sports, the hard work, the discipline. One of the biggest things sports taught me was that there is no shortcut. The only way to become a better soccer player was to take a soccer ball to a open field and kick it in the net 500 times. I could not read I could read a book, but I could not pay somebody to speed up the process. There was no magic pill. Mm-hmm. I had to go and do the work. And I think I approached my business with the same mindset that if it's going to blossom and do really well or the total opposite, it's it's on me and my willingness to metaphorically take the ball to the field and kick it 500 times. And that's what what we try to talk to people about mental fitness, that there is such a thing. And it's this repetition. It's this practicing. It's these little things, these little interventions. And you can always do them because your brain is going a thousand miles a minute all the time and bringing things up about your safety Mm. and trying to keep you safe. So you can always access things like this is temporary. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not forever. It's temporary. This is how it is right now at this moment. It will pass. I mean, those are, those are exercises. We're getting people to, to do that. And I'm curious, when you speak to groups, when you speak to school kids, what are they saying to you? 
what are you seeing out there and how do they respond to what you're what you're saying students in my experience are carrying around a lot on their shoulders <laughs> the way i picture it as if every person had a giant invisible four foot backpack strapped to their shoulders. And in that invisible bag is their own experiences, which inform their own perspectives of the world and their own beliefs. So they're carrying around their own ideas. But as they go through life, they also start picking up the words and opinions that other people place on them. You know, right now there's a term going around in schools called mask fishing, kind of like catfishing when someone posts a picture that looks totally unlike them and then you meet them and they look totally different. People in schools are using this term now called mask fishing because they, you know, you don't know what someone looks like when they have a mask on. And now students are scared to go to school without a mask because they're thinking other people are going to judge them or call them names. In my experience, students are carrying around a lot of the opinions of other, of other people the things that other people place on them, especially coming back from COVID-19, carrying around insecurities, personal challenges. Um, and one of the best things we can do for youth right now is just help them realize that the words of other people don't have to become their reality, that every day they have the opportunity to empty their backpack and not carry around the beliefs and opinions of others uh, and instead uh, repack those big invisible bags with friends that are going to support you you know, role models you could look up to and learn from. But I think, you know, answering your question, students are, are struggling with their own self-worth and self-identities and also some insecurities, especially coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm taking my backpack off as I speak, as you speak. <laughs> and it's big. It's the size of this room. It's going to take a little time, probably till the end of the show or longer. I think that's a great metaphor, a great, a great image for what, what's happening uh, to people. And I've never heard of the mask thing. Uh, I'm out of touch in that way. But it's just crazy and frightening, all of the things that people are doing now to identify themselves, to, to have an identity, to belong. A sense of belonging, a sense of community is very important. And it's very difficult to have a real sense of community that's not based on some artificial thing, not like what you're talking about, like going towards what you're most interested in. Jennifer, how do you, uh, how do you teach people to build community? It's not a natural thing anymore. Yeah, it's hard. I think social media, which you know has its positives as well, but I think it's also made things really hard, especially during COVID when kids were really cut off from each other. And they were very lonely and all the great things that should have been happening in their lives, dances and proms and theater presentations and all kinds of stuff just weren't happening. And I think people, kids just ended up stuck on their devices, watching other people sort of market themselves and look happy when they're not so happy. So I think, I think it's a big problem. It's not going anywhere. We have to help people. And adults are just as addicted, by the way, as teenagers. So it's, it's finding, that's what I love about Sam, what you did with the picking up the garbage, because people are out there together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, communicating with each other and laughing and talking and doing something great together. And I think that's missing for a lot of, of young people today, that idea of community. Building community and mentorship. There is a mentor out there for everyone. There is. You have to identify what you love most and what interests you most. And a lot of times people, you know, we don't teach people to find value 
in what comes naturally to them. It has to be a struggle. The stuff that comes naturally to you that you love to do all the time, that should be what you do. Mm. Yeah, That's your work in life, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to something Sam said, because you were talking about not loving university, which is not for everyone. And the truth is, unless you know exactly what you want to do, going to university can be really frustrating and upsetting. So some kids don't know what they want to do. They don't even know what they're good at necessarily. So I think hearing Sam talk about just start with something small and, and have the courage to follow what feels right is really, really important. And even the backpack, which I love that example, they are kids who don't even know they're wearing a backpack. They think it's true. Mm-hmm. They never thought for a second to even question, do I, why am I thinking this about myself? Who gave this to me? I don't actually need to carry this around. So I love what you're doing, Sam. It's, it's just so important. And I would say, too, the self-talk. If people can talk to themselves the way you're speaking out now, Sam, you know, with some of those elements, how you talk to yourself is, I wish there was a course in that, because I would have taken it uh, if I was a kid, if, if I was growing up. In fact, I'm going to ask Sam to come back to my childhood now. And just kind of go through it with like a snowblower or like a torch and just light it up. Uh, let's just light it up. Because really, there were so many things that I said to myself that I didn't need to say. And, you know, there was talent there and stuff that brought me joy. But it was covered under all this stuff that I put on myself. You know, I'm going to I'm going to think about uh, you and I'm going to figure out if I can take a pill and maybe take (laughs) you back to my childhood and we'll we'll do that. But I can do that right now. uh, Just listening to you. Jennifer is going to leave us uh, very shortly. But before she does, I have to ask you, you've done a TED talk. It's a lot of people have seen it. It's brilliant. What perks come with a TED talk? Is there a jacket? Do you get free free admission to clubs? Is there somewhere where you can trade it in for food? What is that experience like of doing a TED Talk? The biggest reward for the TED Talk, in my personal experience and opinion, was meeting really awesome people. The audience, the people who are willing to purchase a ticket to listen to big ideas, often have really inspiring stories themselves. Some of the amazing conversations that I had after the event concluded and I stopped speaking and I started listening was one of the most enjoyable aspects of the conference. I also was able to make some lifelong friends from the fellow presenters, uh, one whose name is Savio Joseph, who happens to be now one of my best buddies who I talk to every single day. The gentleman who emceed my event is also a longtime friend. So I think the biggest perk for the TED Talk was meeting amazing people and building some lifelong friendships and relationships from that speech. It was also nerve wracking. It helped me, it helped me spend thousands of hours in my basement, staring in the mirror, practicing a 15 minute script. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it was a, it was an amazing process. The biggest thing I took out of it was building relationships. with some really cool human beings. You're going to come back. Okay. And we're going to do, we're going to do some other stuff. Uh, but you're going to, you have to come back. Yeah, this is spectacular. You're amazing. It's a pleasure to listen to you. You're very clear, very powerful. You've made me feel better, which is a miracle. <laughs> and and it, you're, like, you're like coffee in a good way with no come down. So tell them where they go to find out more about your work and what you do. Absolutely. Right now, 
to Jennifer's earlier point, I'm actually taking three months off social media. It's um, right. something I actually, two years ago, I did a full year and I've now decided that every summer I'm disconnecting. So June, July, and August, you won't find me anywhere on social. I, I will not be responsive. So the best place you could go right now is to samdema.com. That's just my website. You could shoot me an email through that platform. I would love to connect or have a conversation via email. Uh, you could also shoot me a direct email at sam at samdema.com. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you and don't hesitate to reach out if you have a question or think I could be helpful in any way. That's going to be me who's reaching out and you're going <laughs> to regret every day that you've said that now. <laughs> every day. Thanks for listening. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Look for the good. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We will see you soon. Bye.